1: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to the Dundee Precious Metals 3rd Quarter 2020 Earnings Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you would need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your first speaker today to Jennifer Cameron, Director of Investor Relations. Thank you, please go ahead.
0: Thank you and good morning. I'm Jennifer Cameron, Director of Investor Relations, and I'd like to welcome you to Dundee Precious Metals third quarter conference call. With me today are David Ray, President and CEO, and Hume Kyle, Chief Financial Officer. After the close of business yesterday, we released our third quarter results, and I hope you've had an opportunity opportunity to review our material. All forward-looking information provided during this call is subject to the forward-looking qualification, which is detailed in our news release and incorporated in full for the purposes of today's call. Certain financial measures referred to during this call are not measures recognized under IFRS and are referred to as non-GAAP measures. These measures have no standardized meanings under IFRS and may not be comparable to similar measures presented by other companies. The definitions established and calculations performed by DPM are based on management's reasonable judgment and are consistently applied. These measures are intended to to provide additional information and should not be considered in isolation or as a substitute for measures prepared in accordance with IFRS. Please refer to the non-GAAP financial measures section of our most recent MD&A for reconciliations of these non-GAAP measures. Please note that unless otherwise stated, operational and financial information communicated during this call have generally been rounded and any references to 2019 pertain to the comparable periods in 2020. I'll now turn the call over to David Ray.
2: Thanks, Jennifer. Good morning and thank you all for joining us. As you would have seen from our earnings release last night, I'm pleased to report that DPM delivered another exceptional quarter with strong gold production and cost performance driving record financial results. Highlights of our third quarter results include strong operating performance at our Chalapach and Atatepe mines, which resulted in production of 80,000 ounces of gold and 9.2 million pounds of copper. With solid smelter performance, despite 15 days of scheduled maintenance and an excellent cost performance, resulting in an all-in-sustaining cost for the quarter of $640 per gold ounce. A strong operational performance combined combined with um, higher gold prices generated record net earnings, adjusted EBITDA, and $59 million of free cash flow for the quarter. It's important to highlight, as Hume will also note, that our record-free cash flow was after delivery on our prepaid gold facility of approximately 7,000 ounces in the quarter. With the strength of our results year to date, I'm pleased to say that we are tracking towards the upper end of our annual guidance for gold production and have reduced our all-in sustaining cost guidance. Goes without saying that this has been a challenging year around the world as a result of the COVID-19 epidemic. To date, we've not experienced any material disruptions to our operations and we continue to manage the situation by prioritizing the health and safety of our workforce, force and host communities. Our strong year-to-date performance amidst challenging circumstances is a credit to the outstanding efforts undertaken at each of our sites to effectively manage these challenges. Turning to the highlights from our operations for the third quarter, I'll start with Adatepe. Since ramping up to full production last year, our operating team at Adatepe has continued to deliver impressive results beyond what was shown in the feasibility study and ahead of our expectations, and that's a rare accomplishment in our industry. In Q3, Adetepi produced approximately 30,000 gold ounces, which exceeded planned levels as a result primarily of strong gold grades, but also a higher volume of ore treated. With cash costs of $34 per tonne of ore processed during the quarter, cost performance is also better than anticipated for reasons which Hume will discuss shortly. Adetepi continues to be on track to meet its 2020 guidance, with gold production tracking towards the higher end of the range. In October, we released an updated mineral reserve and resource for Adatepe, which incorporated over 91,000 meters of uh, close-spaced grade control drilling and detailed reconciliation studies that we've conducted since the start-up of the operations. The result was a proven and probable mineral estimate of approximately 660,000 ounces of gold at an increased grade of 4.8 grams per tonne, as well as an optimized life-of-mine plan for Adatepe. The optimized mine plan reflects a higher grade and recovered gold ounce profile relative to the original mine plan. It supports our three-year outlook for the operation and maintains production to 2026 and highlights Adetepi's potential to drive strong operating results within our portfolio. We look forward to publishing an updated technical report for Adetepi later this month. We're continuing with our exploration efforts around Adetepi with approximately 8,000 meters planned at CERNAC and two other satellite deposits in the fourth quarter in addition to the 8,000 meters already completed for this year. Additional exploration activities this year have focused on target delineation and resource definition drilling of epithurnable veins on the Chirite license, which is located approximately 25 kilometers northeast of Adetepe where we've completed 6,000 meters this year. As we look ahead to next year, we plan to drill approximately 32,000 meters at Adetepe with a focus on delineation of additional resources within the mine license and on advancing other prospective targets on regional licenses. Turning to Chalapet, Chalapet continued its track record of consistent performance, producing approximately 50,000 ounces of gold and 9.2 million pounds of copper. Gold production was higher than expected due to higher recoveries in pyrite concentrate and copper production was as expected. Cash cost continues to be very steady and in line with our expectations with cash costs of $38 per tonne of ore processed for the quarter. Overall, given its strong performance year to date, Chalapet is expected to be at the upper end of its guidance, uh, guidance range on gold production for 2020 and is on track to meet guidance for all of the metrics. In terms of exploration, we continue to focus on extending the mine life through our in-mine and brownfields exploration programs and uh, have 8,000 meters of uh, drilling planned for the fourth quarter. In the third quarter, we commenced an intensive diamond drilling program at the West Shaft Prospect. This is a new target located approximately one kilometer southwest of the Chalapetch mine. that was identified in June as part of a near-mine drilling program. Additionally, deep directional drilling is continuing at the wedge prospect just north of our uh, resource with a focus on testing more conceptual targets in proximity to the Chalapetch mine. Turning to Sumeb, Sumeb delivered strong performance during the quarter, processing approximately 56,000 tons of concentrate at a cash cost of $407 per tonne. There were 15 days of scheduled maintenance during the quarter, which was primarily related to the replacement of certain equipment in the off-gas system. This was effectively two one-week shutdowns which we brought together in the third quarter. And we'd done that for various reasons, one of which a sensible handling of uh, COVID constraints in terms of resources that we can bring to the site. There's no additional significant maintenance planned prior to the off furnace reline, which is currently scheduled to occur in the first quarter of 2021. In 2020, CIMIB is recognizing its 10th anniversary as a DPM operation, and since we acquired the smelter in 2010, we've made substantial investments to significantly improve the health, safety, and environmental performance and standards. We are proudly seeing the benefit of that investment in in terms of enhanced operational and environmental performance, as well as improved social and political license. Today, I'm happy to say that we're starting to realize some of the long-term targets for safety and operational performance that we had in mind for the smelter when we first acquired it. And in fact, we expect 2020 to be a record year for SUMEP, both operationally and financially, with the smelter on track to meet its guidance. In terms of future growth, our TMOP project in Serbia, Serbia continues to advance. Earlier this year, we initiated a pre-feasibility study following encouraging results from optimization work completed last year to incorporate incorporate the sulfide portion of the mineral resource. As the PFS has progressed, we've determined that the sulfide portion will benefit from additional variability test work. And as a result, the PFS will continue to focus on the oxide portion of the project with the sulfide portion to be included as part of the potential feasibility study. The PFS is progressing well and is on track for completion in Q4. And we anticipate sharing the results in the first quarter of 2021. We also continue to pursue our growth strategy by evaluating additional opportunities that have potential to generate strong returns and enhance value to the company. Closing, overall, DPM has never been in a better position to deliver value for our shareholders and other stakeholders. With a strong third quarter set of results, we've demonstrated our ability to deliver significant free cash flow and our commitment to deploying this capital in a disciplined manner. Earlier this year, we were pleased to announce an inaugural dividend of $0.02 cents per share, a quarterly level we believe to be sustainable based on our free cash flow outlook, and yesterday announced a fourth quarter dividend payable on January 15, 2021 to shareholders of record as of December 31, 2020. This is the demonstration of our commitment to delivering superior returns to shareholders and a disciplined approach to capital allocation, as well as our confidence that we will continue to deliver strong results in the coming years. Before I wrap up, I'd like to acknowledge all our dedicated employees across the company for their outstanding efforts to proactively respond to the challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic uh, while also maintaining the continuity of our operations. Our growing gold production profile and free cash flow generation combined with our unique skills in innovation and building strong partnerships with local communities position us well to continue delivering value for our shareholders. I'll now turn the call over to Hugh for a review of our financial results and comments on our 2020 guidance. Following which, we'll open the call to questions.
3: Thanks, Dave. Good morning, everybody. As uh, as Dave noted, continued strong operational performance from all of our operations and higher metal prices translated into strong financial results, including record net earnings and free cash flow. For the quarter, adjusted net earnings were 51 million or. 28 cents per share, representing an increase of 26 cents compared to 2019. And adjusted EBITDA was 85 million, up 52 million compared to 2019. Adjusted net earnings for the first nine months of 2020 were 143 million, or 79 cents per share, representing a 69 cent increase compared to the prior year. And adjusted EBITDA was 241 million, up 158 million compared to 2019. Reported net earnings uh, in all periods, were slightly higher, reflecting mark-to-market gains related to Sabina special warrants that we hold. Relative to 2019, these results benefited from significantly higher volumes of gold sold, reflecting an impressive startup at Atatepe that generated higher production and grades than we'd originally envisioned, and continued strong performance from our flagship Celitabetch mine, as well as an increase in uh, market gold prices, of approximately 25% relative to 2019 levels, and a weaker South African Rand, which depreciated roughly 15% against the US dollar. From a cash flow perspective, cash flow from operating activities in Q3 and year to date were $42 million and $127 million respectively, compared with $23 million and $47 million in 2019, and reflected the same factors that drove increased earnings partially offset by an increase in working capital. This increase reflected longer settlement terms for Atatepe sales, normal course timing issues with respect to a late uh, shipment in the quarter which resulted in approximately 25 million of cash proceeds being received just after the quarter, as well as increased deliveries and higher gold prices. Funds from operation, which is before changes in working capital, were 70 million and 194 million in Q3 and year to date respectively, compared to 32 million and $77 million in 2019. This solid performance translated into record-free cash flow of $59 million and $167 million in Q3 and year-to-date compared to $21 million and $55 million in 2019. This includes the delivery of 7,000 and 27,000 ounces of gold in Q3 and year-to-date respectively in respect of our prepaid forward gold sales arrangement resulting in approximately $10 million and $37 million of deferred revenue being recognized in earnings with no corresponding contribution to cash flow. In the fourth quarter, we will deliver the remaining 7,000 ounces due under this arrangement. Our all-in sustaining cost per ounce for the quarter and year-to-date was $640 and $655, respectively, down 14% and 13% from 2019, Due primarily to lower cost production from Adatepe and higher byproduct credits, partially offset by higher production or sorry, higher cello treatment charges, higher GNA expenses, and higher cash outflows in respect of sustaining capital expenditures. At Sumeb, our Q3 and year-to-date cost per ton was $407 and $369, respectively, down 21% and 10% from 2019 due primarily to higher volumes of complex concentrates smelted as a result of steadier operating performance, which more than offset the Q2 impact associated with regional measures undertaken by the Namibian government to reduce the risks related to COVID-19, as well as a weaker ZAR and higher asset deliveries partially offset by lower asset prices. From a capital expenditure standpoint, Total capital expenditures in the quarter and year-to-date were 13 million and 35 million, respectively. Sustaining capital expenditures for the quarter and year-to-date were 12 million and 30 million, up 1 million and 11 million from 2019 levels, reflecting the investments we are making to extend the life of Chilipechis Tailings Management Facility, as well as the higher uh, capex associated with the startup of Atatepe.
1: Growth
3: capital expenditures. For the quarter and year to date were 1 million and 5 million respectively, down 1 million and 30 million from 2019. Year to date decrease, of course, is due to the fact that we completed construction uh, at the Atepe mine. Following another quarter of strong free cash flow, we ended the quarter with available cash resources of approximately $252 million. This was comprised of a cash position of $102 million, together with $150 million under our revolving uh, credit facility. We also have a liquid investment portfolio providing additional potential upside. This is comprised of a 9.4% interest in Sabina and a 19.4% interest in INV, which together are valued at approximately 76 million. We also have a 70% fully diluted interest in minor P, which puts an aggregate value on these investments at well over 100 million. From a risk management perspective, all of our key financial metrics and underlying financial exposures are well within established tolerance levels. During the quarter, we increased our 2021 hedge positions that were established to reduce SUMEB's operating cost exposure to foreign currency movements, such such that for the balance of 2020 and for 2021, we are approximately 82 and 84% hedged, and we've used uh, zero-cost callers to do so. Looking forward, we continue to focus on increasing the profitability of the business by optimizing our existing assets and as Dave commented on earlier, we are on track to meet or outperform previously issued 2020 guidance. With strong operating performance for Mattatepe and Chalapetch in the first nine months, uh, annual production and deliveries are expected to be at the upper end of our 2020 guidance. As a result, we have reduced our all-in-sustaining cost guidance to $650 to $720 per ounce of gold from the previously issued guidance of $700 to $780 reflecting excellent cost performance year-to-date. Mine costs at Chalapetch are tracking our guidance, and at Atatepe, year-to-date costs were below the current guidance of $44 to $50, which was lowered from $50 to $60 in July. We expect Atatepe costs to come in at the lower end of guidance, with the potential to be slightly below this range as a result of strong operating performance and RC drilling costs, which are now being capitalized rather than expense that's originally envisioned. SUMEB remains on track to achieve its 2020 production guidance and is expected to achieve the lower end of its 2020 guidance due primarily to the weakening of the South African Rand relative to the U.S. dollar. Year-to-date and forecast capital expenditures are in line with guidance. Our longer-term outlook covering 2021 and 2022, which can be found in the three-year outlook section of our MD&A, remains unchanged from what we issued in February with the exception of Atatepe's twenty twenty one outlook for sustaining capital expenditures, which are now expected to be between fifteen and nineteen million, up from our previously issued guidance of four to five million. This increase is due primarily to accelerating grade control building, which was previously planned over several years in order to provide larger representative and high quality samples for greater for better grade control and mine planning over the remaining life. The outlook for Atatapha's sustaining capital expenditures in 2022 remains unchanged at $4 to $5 million. In closing, with continued significant free cash flow being generated from our business, a solid outlook for 2021 and 2022, the potential to generate significant additional free cash flow, we are in a strong financial position to optimize and grow the business, which we intend to do in a disciplined manner consistent with our capital allocation framework, And as such, expect to continue to grow our cash position to support prudent investments and high-return growth opportunities and return a portion of our free cash flow generation to our shareholders by way of a regular quarterly dividend, the most recent of which was announced yesterday. With that, I'll turn the call back to the operator.
1: Thank you, sir. As a reminder, to ask a question, you would need to press star 1 on your telephone to withdraw your question. Press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. I show our first question. comes from the line of Belton Barreto from Canaccord. Please go ahead.
4: Thanks. Good morning, David and team, and uh, congratulations once again on a great quarter. Um, Maybe I can start by asking about the cost at Atatapet. Why are they coming in so far below your guidance?
2: Jim, did you want to pick that up?
3: Yeah. Well, I, I can I, yeah, I can start. I can. One factor that is impacting the um, you know the Adisepi cost per ton in the quarter is um, the RC drilling. The RC drilling that was originally in our budget was uh, considered to be an operating cost, um, and now, as a result of uh, the treatment, which is now capital, uh, that probably in the quarter has an impact of uh, something like five dollars per ton four to five dollars per ton. So it's, it's affected the quarter more, but on a year basis, relative to the original guidance that we put out, it would have an impact of about four dollars uh, per ton. So that's one uh, factor, you know, both for the quarter and for the year. Uh, but, you know, uh, beyond that, it's really good uh, operating uh, performance, higher production, better cost management, lower consumable costs, uh, both in the in the case of lower diesel costs, and power costs, uh, both from a uh, a rate and a consumption standpoint. Dave, did you want to add anything?
2: Yeah, just to explain a little bit more on on what we're talking about, the the grade control drilling uh, would typically be done for the the year ahead of current production. And with the asset being uh, fairly small and constrained, there was a significant risk of interference, or alternatively the need when we're doing pushbacks to be reducing production. And what we recognized was that by getting the grade control done early, that would feed into our life of mind planning and allow us to mitigate that. Now, mitigations that we take today are going to put us in a better position, Uh, you know, not just one year from now, two and three years from now. So therefore, we felt it was sensible to accelerate the grade control drilling. So we've been talking about this for a year, but because instead of it just being the year ahead, in which case we would expense it, now we're talking multiple years ahead. We felt it sensible to move that into uh, into capital, so that's why we did that. Um, so the impact actually in the quarter is, is even more than the five dollars, is as much as ten dollars per ton. But as Hume was saying, the direct material costs, uh, you know, the reagents, grinding materia, uh, material, material um, better. It's actually all down to operating performance. The work that you do on the maintenance of the roads. And the clarity in terms of direction of the fleet and minimization of the holes and rework, that has a benefit on the impact of consumption of tires and fuel and all of these types of things. So it's a combination of a number of things. We've done well in terms of our negotiation on some contracts. We've benefited from lower power costs. We've benefited from you know, lower reagent and and steel costs, but we've also benefited from really, really good work done by this team on focusing on how to get optimization of the recovery of this asset, including grade control, and not in terms of the drilling, but how they actually manage that at the site in terms of dilution and in terms of losses, and that's also benefited us with the grades that are going to the mill. So it's, it's a broad range of things. The big impact in Q3 was around the RC drilling or the grade control drilling but it's also a number of others which have been consistent through the years so far.
4: That's great color, they really are doing a great job there. Um, Can I switch gears and ask about TMOC for a second? So it it sounds like the sulfides are going to, as you said, benefit from additional work. Can you elaborate on what that additional variability work is? And will you make a decision to go from PFS to feasibility study just
2: on the merits of the oxides? Michael, did you want to talk
5: to them? Sure. Hi, Dalton. Um, yeah. So that's that's correct. The the sulfide is going to be subject of additional variability test work after uh, the pre fees, um, and it's really just designed to optimize uh, the flow sheet for the sulfides going forward, um, and determine you know what what the best processing methodology is going to be. Um, And as you know, there's just a number of different zones within the ore body that require that um, additional variability test work to be done. Um, To answer your second question, yes, the intention is that we would, uh, you know, assuming a positive outcome on the pre-fees, we would move ahead on the basis of the oxides alone and continue to study the uh, sulfides as part of the, the fees.
4: Okay, great. And maybe just one last one for me. Uh, This one's for you, David. So on capital and capital allocation, you know, the the base dividend is much appreciated, but it barely puts a dent in my numbers going forward. Um, How are you thinking of the next couple of years about, you know, growth versus incremental shareholder returns? What is the process? Is that going to be reviewed quarterly? Um, What's the preferred mechanism for any incremental shareholder returns? Do you prefer buybacks? Do you prefer, yeah, you know, supplementals? Just any thoughts around that would be great.
2: Okay, I'm, I'll start with this, and I'll ask Hume to to comment as well. It's um, it's a discussion at every board meeting as we sort of move from a situation where, you know, we were a running debt to now generating significant free cash flow. Um, I'd like to see this process as something that is more routine in the sense of, you know, how we actually get about assessing what is the appropriate level of return. So at this point, yes, we do have buyback opportunities at this share price. I don't think that's something that we would readily exercise. So then it's down to uh, um, investment in um, improvements within the operations to generate returns. It's down to exploration, and as you'll see, we're being more aggressive on exploration um, it's down to dividends and it's down to, you know, what we might do in terms of growth. So, you know, whether it's organic like TMOC or whether it's the potential for us to invest further and in potential MA activity in terms of supporting our future growth as we get five years and beyond as, a, as an organization. So it um, we recognize that what's happened is from the time that we started with the two-cent dividend, the situation with the gold price and our performance means that we are paying at a lower yield than we had originally anticipated. So that's understood, and it is a point of conversation. Um, It's happening on a regular basis, so I would say it's being discussed quarterly, but I think the intent is to come into some type of routine so that there can be an expectation of when that's going to be. And I believe we're moving away from the concept of supplementary dividends to it being a more routine review of what that level is. So that would be my comment. Hume, did you want to add anything further to that?
3: Sure, it's uh, you know it's obviously um, uh, a relevant topic uh, that comes up quite a bit in our conversations and uh, in, you know in the marketplace and, and you can see in the marketplace that uh, you know there's a, a a mixture out there in terms of uh, how people are approaching it. You know, from our from our standpoint, we instituted uh, the dividend as Dave said at a level that uh, uh, anticipated a lower pricing environment than the one that we're currently in. Um, and uh, certainly with current prices and should they prevail it would provide the opportunity to to increase that dividend uh, further uh, no doubt but we instituted it at a level we knew we were comfortable with Um, it's not just based on you know from a a board perspective it's not just based on what the current market environment is it's it's really looking at what the uh, expectations are over a longer period of time and uh, being satisfied that uh, any any dividend that we institute or any increases thereof is something that we feel we can, um, you know, sustain. We do not want to be, you know, changing our dividend on a quarter-over-quarter quarter basis, uh, so we're monitoring the market, you know, closely in terms of what's going on, but it's, it's really something that, um, you know, I, I wouldn't expect uh, that we would look at and, and, you know, make quarterly decisions around. I think that this is something that we would uh, assess, and uh, take a longer-term view and reassess, you know, probably generally speaking, uh, on an annual basis. So recognizing that we instituted the dividend uh, earlier this year, uh, you know, thinking about uh, whether there's uh, an opportunity, you know, and what the timing would be around, you know, increasing that, you know, we're probably looking at later this year or early next year as being something that that, uh, that dividend level will be reassessed.
4: That's great. Thank you, guys, and congratulations again.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Trevor Turnbull from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi,
6: uh, Dave and Hume. Um, I had a, maybe a little bit of a follow-on um, on Dalton's questions about the Ototepe costs. Uh, I just wondered maybe going forward if you had plans with guidance to break down say, the all sustaining costs between the different operations? Uh, it seems like now you give a consolidated figure for the company, but uh, perhaps it would be a little easier for us to track um, if, if it was broken out asset by asset.
3: Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's, it's something that we could do uh, for sure, Trevor. We, we haven't done it, uh, you know, to date, uh, but it's something that we could consider, you know, doing on a go-forward basis.
6: And, and I guess just kind of a small question with respect to that. Um, so you're, you're all in sustaining cost guidance. You make made a note that um, it does incorporate some allocation for, say, corporate uh, G&A and, and I think it was like a reclamation type of uh, – or maybe it was ESG um, expenses. Can you give us a sense of, of kind of what proportion does get allocated into that number?
3: Uh, it, it, the, the proportion would really follow revenue. That's, that's the methodology. So looking at the, uh, the, the revenue uh, generation of each of our businesses, so Sumabh, uh, Adatepe, and, and uh, Chelopech, that would, uh, that would uh, dictate it. So, you know, roughly speaking, I, I don't have it right off the tip of my tongue, but you're like, let's say two-thirds, 70% of the G&A costs would be allocated to, between Atatepe and Chalapach.
6: Okay, so I misunderstood. I was thinking only a portion of, of the GNA was being allocated down, but it's, it, what you're saying is it's just being allocated on a pro rata basis based on revenue contribution.
3: That's correct. Just looking at the, you know, the, the, the scale of each business, uh, you know, we, we, we view revenue as being a representative uh, you know, tool or measure to use for, for that allocation, and that's, that's what we've been following for you know years.
6: Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, and then one very last uh, small mm-hmm. housekeeping item. Do you still um, pay a dividend to your partner in Namibia? I think it's called Gray Horse. Is that an right. annual dividend that tends to get paid out in Q4? Is that something we need to think about? Uh,
3: we do pay them a dividend. Uh, a portion of it is is uh, is annual, so it's um, – the, the minimum dividend, as you may recall, for the first five years is 500 grand, so it's not that much. Um, 200 is paid out sort of at the beginning of each year. That's to sort of cover operating costs. The balance is paid out, uh, subject to them uh, having uh, uh, investments to make. Um, so all of the between those two things, all of the dividend for 2020 has already been paid out. There won't be anything paid out in,
6: in Q4. Okay, that's all I had. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Cosmos Chu from C I B C. Please go ahead.
7: Hi, thanks, uh, David and Hume, and uh happy Friday, the thirteenth, I guess. Um, and great to see that uh, you know, you've uh improved on your cost guidance. Um, you know, maybe my first question is on um Adatepe here. You know, going back to the uh, technical report that you put out earlier on in October. Um, You know, good to see that uh, it confirms a three-year guidance. Um, But with that said, you know, the number of ounces stayed about the same. The the mine life stayed about the same. And so I guess my question is, you know, what's the potential here in terms of uh, increasing the mine life, adding more years to it? Um, David, as you mentioned, you know, you've planned about 32,000 meters uh, in terms of drilling, it sounds like that's part of it. Um, but what's the potential here? Is it from the satellite deposits, or is it an extension of the current Adatepe deposit itself? And if I look at my you know, field notes from 2019 when I went to site, I guess um, you know Adatepe, it looks like uh, a lot of mineralization was in the sedimentary package. A lot of it was also in the contact between the metamorphic package and the sedimentary package. Is that still the interpretation at this point in time?
2: I don't think anything's changed in the interpretation, uh, Cosmos. And in terms of um, where we see the opportunities coming, we do see that as satellites primarily to, uh, to the current asset, which is well understood and well drilled. So, um, you know, we are putting more and more energy um, into those areas around Aditep. What I would say is that if you look at exploration generally, we had a, um, a rethink and a reprioritization that started in May, June this year. And as a consequence of that, you would have noticed that we've actually flipped some of the prioritization of the targets at Chelopech, and we've increased the intensity of some of the drilling that's been going on in and around Chelopech. At Atepe, we've uh, done some of that, but we still have to do the in-depth view. However, we've got some interesting things that are going on at Atepe at the moment, as you'll notice in some of the recent uh, disclosure of, of results. And... You know, um, I do anticipate that as we find opportunities, we'll be uh, aggressively drilling in order to do what we can to make sure that there is no drop in production from the end of uh, life of Mind of Adetepe. So you, you'll know I've been cautious on this when I've been asked in hmm. some of the, uh, the analyst meetings, right? I think with what I see, I'm getting more confidence now that we're going to be able to do some things. It may be internally, and there's some potential for external opportunities as well. So I think it's a uh, watch this face. Um, to your point, it's going to be probably largely looking at that 25 to 40 kilometers away from the current asset where that source is going to be. But we'll do everything that we can to um, unearth any other opportunities in proximity to Adetepe.
7: Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, maybe, you know, as you talked about, uh, a lot of exploration results coming out of Chalapage. And as you mentioned, there's, you know, quite a few zones that you're targeting at this point in time. David, could you remind us if you know some of these or these new zones here? Are they, you know, can they be accessed using the current infrastructure? How, how far is it once again? I'm I'm trying to picture the long section here, but uh, I tend to forget.
2: Furthest one away at the moment is um, just on a kilometre, so 800 metres to a kilometre away, and that's West Shaft. Um, the flip that we made in prioritisation. Typically, we've been working um, in the uh, sort of northeast area. And southeast area relative to the mine, and that's where typically things are a little shallower, and we've tended to ignore things that are, you know, more southwest. And uh, West Shaft was noted in the MDNA that that had been something that we'd identified an opportunity, um, uh, you know, in the last couple of years. But actually, this dates back quite a while, where we had a magnetic anomaly that we found there all the way back in about 2003 to 2005. So what we did is we, when we reprioritized, we took into account a lot of different information that we had and decided that, you know, we should be looking a little deeper and relative uh, southwest. So at the moment, where we're looking is southwest, that's West Shaft, and we're looking at Wedge, which has been, you know, ongoing for a little while now, and that continues to be interesting, and that's just north of the Chalapetch Mine, maybe a little northwest. And we're also anticipating that we'll be doing some work in Bosdol. Which is just north of Wedge. So those are the primary areas where we're, we're um, focusing at the moment, and there continues to be some ongoing work around Craster as well. Uh, but effectively, what we're doing at the moment is we're in the Spadepetka exploration license, which is immediately around the Chalopetch concession. I don't know if that's helpful. If you want, if you wanted to get some clarification on that, Cosmos.
7: Yeah, I think that's good. Um, and, and then in terms of uh, David, uh, you you know just put out uh, your updated reserves for Adetepe. Um What uh, can you remind us in terms of, you know, timing of the uh, reserve update for the other uh, operations, say, patch, and have you made a determination in terms of what, you know, commodity price assumption you're going to use, or are you going to about use about the same as you had uh, for tepe?
2: Actually, that's a very hot topic. <laughs>
8: so... Uh...
2: We, uh, we basically, with Chalapetch, as you know, we have a, a process whereby September each year we, we cut off um, exploration information at that point. At this time of the year, what we do is we define those assumptions and uh, finalize those assumptions for purposes of the resource to reserve conversion. Uh, that work uh, really takes pace with the reserves in January, and what it does, it puts us into a position to report in March, usually just towards the time where we're putting out the AIF, so it's in the last week of March. Um, with our assets, what we typically do is we only report every second year, even though we do a full MRR update each year. And the reason why we would do it more frequently would be if we see a variation um, of the order of or just above 10%. So we're at, uh, the, because we reported in uh, earlier this year for Chalapatch, we're not anticipating that we're going to be reporting next year. Uh, if we did, that would likely be because there's positive news and uh, we're trending to, towards being above 10% variance. Um, mm-hmm. So basically, at Atatepi Chalapet, what we've done is we've stepped them out of sequence. They were both originally planned for an update at that time of year, and we've actually separated them for purposes of smoothing out our resources who were applied to this so we can actually put them into other things, like uh, you know, more broad advice into our exploration activities. So I don't think if yep. that's uh, that's helpful.
7: Yeah. Thanks, David. And, and then maybe one last question here, taking a step back, uh, more broader based. Uh, I'm not as close to it, but uh, I just want uh, you know some kind of understanding in terms of the COVID nineteen response in Bulgaria. It looks like it's done, you know, fairly well so far, and and that's shown in your you know production guidance that's unaffected. Um, but uh, you know, how is it impacting Bulgaria as a country? And you know more on a macro, a micro basis. How's you know how is it impacting Dundee precious metals, if at all?
2: Yeah, so two primary operating jurisdictions are in quite different cycles. So Namibia, if you go back two months ago, uh, was facing a lot of pressure, primarily from the coastal area and the uh, you know area around the capital, and we were seeing. Uh, influence of COVID in and around Sumat. So, no, that was not your primary question. You were thinking towards Bulgaria, but what's happened now in, in Namibia is that it is now the middle of summer, or it's getting into summer, it's hot, everybody's outside, and what they're seeing is a, a dramatic decrease in the incidence of COVID. So, the pressure's yeah. coming off. Now, quite the opposite in Europe, as you've seen from France and Germany and, you know, uh, England, who've been uh, continuing to have significant struggles. Um, alike to that in Bulgaria, there's been a big increase in incidence. So while we were at the low point, perhaps 100 per day, you're now talking about three, 4,000 determinations per per day. So it's very significantly different. Now, uh, you know, the the ultimate consequences of this in terms of those who are most affected, that hasn't risen to the same degree, but regardless, there's been a significant increase in pressure um, in terms of COVID cases around our assets. What we've done is we've maintained and actually strengthened our stance on COVID all the way through this. So where other people sliced that off and opened up a little bit, we didn't. So, um, and I think that's really put us in good stead. So we have had a number of cases, uh, largely where um, people are related to medical workers or they've been in contact with people in communities. They've been identified as contact traced outside of the workplace. And what we do immediately when that happens is we have people sort of stay at home. They've got to have um, at least two negative tests and a period of time before we allow them to come back to work. So there has been increasing pressure. It is a concern at the moment broadly through Europe. Uh, Bulgaria is as affected as anywhere else. But in terms of our operation, Elia and team have just been doing an absolutely fantastic job of controlling this by being proactive, you know, Um, making sure that we support our our people so they're making the right decisions because there's a lot of pressure in the communities to relax standards. You know, go out, don't wear masks, you know, forget about the hand washing. what's that all about? So, you know, maintaining that level of diligence among the workforce, I think, has been one of the real things that our team's done extremely well at.
7: Thanks, David. Uh, You know, congrats again on a very strong Q3 and, and stay safe. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Don DeMarco from National Bank Financial. Please go ahead.
5: Oh, Hi, hi, David and team. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, first off, I wanted to just go back to exploration at Atatepe. Uh, the Chateau Kaya prospect, it's um, some, some pretty good uh, drill results last night from your phase two program. Show some decent grade. I, I know it's still early. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about this? Is it an open pitable prospect? Is it near road infrastructure? Uh, maybe a little bit about the, the, the strike if you have any information on that. And and uh, what do you need from next year's program to confirm this as a potential satellite supplement?
2: Yeah, all good questions. The it, type of thing that I think would better benefit from having a detailed conversation with uh, with our exploration people. What I would say is that, you know, we continue to be excited by a number of things that are going on around um, Adetepe or our Krumograd prospect. I think that's increased recently. You know, we were a little concerned about our ability to continue the mine, but I think that's starting to change with some of the opportunities that we're finding. Uh, with Chaffal-Kaya itself, um, you know, obviously that's encouraging, but we've seen these types of things before, like with 153, when we first looked at it, it looked exceptional, it became a great asset, but not the type of thing that it did first looked like. So, we're a little cautious until we get more holes into these things. In terms of road infrastructure, it does look like there's, I'm not, I've not actually been there actually, but um, I do believe there's uh, close proximity to and I believe it's about 25 kilometres away from our site, so we have been looking at these things to make sure that, you know, if we do find them, and I'm assuming it's an open pit—that's that's certainly the assumption so far—that um, we would be able to extract that economically, including the road transportation and the treatment at um, Atitepi. I think the encouraging thing here was some of the encouraging thing was the grades, um, as opposed mm. to necessarily finding something. That was a little different, I uh, would agree. So anyway, I think what we might need to do, uh, Dan, is if you have any particular questions, what we'll do is we'll make sure we take those up with our next meetings um, and have a little bit more content on exploration and the detail around that area. Okay, thank you for that. And um, my second question is um,
5: uh, do you have any guidance for the remaining sustaining CAPEX at SUMEB for Q4? I think year-to-date, um, maybe three million has been spent. I think the guidance is somewhere closer to twelve to fifteen million if I have my numbers right.
2: Jim, did you have a comment for that?
3: Yeah, I mean the um, you know the balance of uh, uh, sustaining capEx for sumab will be will be higher than it was during the first uh, three quarters. Uh, but it's not expected to be um, probably as as high as you you know might expect based on the full year guidance. Uh, So I I anticipate we'll we'll probably come in a little bit lower, uh, lower in the range for the uh, the guidance for Suma, but still within the range.
2: Okay, I think it's perfect. It's fair to say that with um, you know with COVID, what that's affected is the ability to get people to site. So some of the things that are maybe installed but not fully commissioned yet are affected by the ability to get the right people to site. Um, also, if you have a look at the timing of the shutdowns, that's important because you need to bring materials in and have those at site ready for the shutdown. So, of course, uh, you know, we've had a short shutdown, so that spend is already incurred. Now we've got the uh, the big shutdown coming up. and The preparation is happening now, so refractory linings in place, you know, any ducting that we need to do, any of the equipment modifications. So there's reason to believe that the um, the loading will be more towards the back end of the year. However, I think it's also recognized SUMEP tends to, on the spend relative to its guidance on capital. Okay, thanks so much for that. That's all for me.
5: Congratulations again. Thank you.
1: Thank you. And I show our last question. It comes from the line of Daniel McCumvey from Rushport Investments. Please go ahead.
8: Good morning, David Hume, and another congratulations for a great quarter. Um, with Without a tip, uh on Cosmos and Don's question, um, it, very prolific, you know, very uh, interesting area. The difficulty, of course, was the long time getting it permitted. So the areas you're looking at now and the areas that you're drilling now, um, how how would you describe is the confidence level you have if you find another deposit? You know, it's a good chance you will, that you can, can permit that in a lot more reasonable time than, than uh, at a tip
2: so, the permitting of atetepe of course was complicated by um, the what we had to do to get the social license in that area and um you know so a large number of years of that time between you know the inception to actually starting the construction and operation was was down to that in this particular case, we've got an excellent relationship with um the, the area now, recognizing that there's different municipalities mm-hmm. around uh, Chale- uh, sorry Krigradb. so having a good relationship in Krimogred but does, does not necessarily directly translate to others. However, we've got a, a demonstration of what we can do. So there's a, um, a expectation in terms of how long it will take to move things through the regulatory process and then there's a um, stakeholder part which can help either accelerate or at least uh, you know prevent any drag. On that process. So timing is tight, no doubt about it, Um, however we feel we're well positioned. And on top of that there have been some recent changes um, in the regulations, uh, or rather some clarification should I put it, um, in terms of how you can actually take assets uh, forward. That will primarily benefit uh, Celifetch, but also does benefit in some instances um, Adatepic. So I would hope that would also translate into any new assets Around the um, Adatepi and Chalapetch
8: uh, sites. Okay, and it just in terms of the of the uh, resistance, for lack of a better word, you had an initial permitting, um, the I guess the fact you've been mining there for a while and, and, and done a good job, um, the the, the um, resistance for anything uh, new being developed, you would expect to be less. Is that fair?
2: I mean, initially, people are not sure what it is that they're prepared to let you do. So somewhat, you know, being there and having a relationship with a community and then being able to see um, what it means when when we come into the area, that we're not just there um, and don't care about the environment or don't care about the water or don't care about, you know, the, the people. We're looking at this thing holistically and how do we create a net positive value? And it's, it's very easy now for us to take... Um, you know, people in Bulgaria to individuals who speak their own language, who, you know, largely day to day have the very same style of living and they can sort of see for themselves the impact that it's had in the relationship that they have with the company. And they can do that without the company involved. And I think that's very far when you have, you know, um, leaders in individual communities and thought leaders able to talk, you know, without our influence. Uh, they can uh, truly get a sense of, of what happens if uh, if they work with us in order to realize these assets, but it does have um, you know, a broader
8: benefit. Okay. Good to hear. Thanks, David, and congratulations again. Thank you.
1: Thank you. This concludes our Q&A session. At this time, I'd like to turn the call back over to Mr. David Gray, CEO, for closing remarks.
2: Okay, I'd like to thank you all for participating in this call, and we look forward to keeping you updated on our journey at DPM, and with that, Have a great weekend. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Good day.
0: Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's Investor Relations section on their website. See you next time.